Dave Ramsey is kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous for people who have gotten into really bad debt. Yeah. If you know yourself and know that the risk is not good for you and debt is dangerous for you, don't touch it or run away from it. Follow Dave's advice. Yeah. But if you don't have bad behaviors with your your debt, it's it's okay. It's okay to think through some of that. Welcome to the Stewardship Podcast. We want to help you be a good steward. I am Daniel, and I am joined by Grant. Yes, you are. Hi, Grant. Hi. We're going to be joined by another uh, vocal person. Yeah, that's true. On this episode. Uh, today, that was a terrible hook. Um, <laughs> uh, today, we're talking about how to be a good steward of debt. Yeah. So I'm sure you read it in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, is debt good, Grant? Yeah. Or well, is it bad? I, I just don't think we can have this conversation without bringing on that other voice, as you mentioned. Yeah. And we're going to discover the real answer to that question um, by... So, so we have Dave Ramsey here? Well... No. No, Dave Ramsey's not <laughs> in studio. But we are going to listen together to one of Dave Ramsey's responses to the question, is there such thing as good debt? And we'll get to hear his response to it, and then you and I will respond to it as well. And for context, um, you and I both have taught Financial Peace University. Yeah. You and I both like Dave Ramsey. Yeah. We think he, he does a lot of really good for a lot of amazing people. Um, however, I'll just speak for me now specifically, there are some things that Dave Ramsey says that I – I could argue one way or the other on some of the stuff he says. And then there's other things that he says. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's that's way wrong, right? Yeah. So I do not 100% agree with everything Dave Ramsey says. And part of my response in this podcast is going to be just that. You, listener, are going to hear some specifics of things that I agree with and disagree with in his response to, is there such thing as good debt? Now, I think that there's other things that you have to note here. Daniel, how does Dave Ramsey make money? What is his income based off of? Uh, well, I mean, he's smart, so there are a lot of avenues. That's true, yes. But I think most of it is going to be his radio show. Yeah. Where he gets people to call in mm-hmm. and ask him questions. Yep. And he dishes out advice all yes. the time. Yes, and and the best way to get a lot of people to listen is to have a certain attitude, is to have a certain type of conversation. Personality. Yeah, really, a personality. And yeah. he's very good with that. He's so good with that. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, he is also selling other products and services associated with the advice that he gives, right? Mm-hmm. And his advice is in the way that he earns income And the way that he gets people to listen to his radio show, again, earning more income, has a lot to do with having a hatred towards debt. Okay? So that's context for him. He's very well established, a clear villain. Yes. Which is is marketing. Yes. (laughs) Yep. And and it's good. And it's good. So you have to have that context. Now, Daniel, how do I make my money? Uh, You sell financial products. Yes. You serve people Uh in their finances. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they pay for those services. Yep. And one of the services and companies that I own is a mortgage company, Mm -hmm. which is the largest debt anybody could get for their life. So context, as a listener, you need to understand, I earn income by helping people go into debt, the biggest debt of their life. And I just want to be super transparent and clear and honest with everybody about that 
right up front. Okay, so as you're listening to Dave Ramsey, understand any potential conflict of interest he may or may not have and any conflict of interest I may or may not have. Or maybe it's not a conflict to you, but it's perspective to allow you to say, "Mm, I align more with that versus the other. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. And I don't sell mortgages, uh, nor do I get paid for this radio show. That's true. (laughs) So I guess I'm unbiased, right? You are. No, not totally. Um, We recently did a video. Uh, about how uh, Dave Ramsey cost me a house. It's been one of our most popular YouTube videos yet. So if you haven't watched that video yet, you guys got to watch this one where I basically interview you and say, hey, you follow Dave Ramsey's advice. How did that work out for you? And you shared the story of what you and Heather did. You guys got to check that video out. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Long story short, though, uh, I agree with a lot of what Dave says, too. Mm Mm-hmm. But not necessarily everything. Correct. (laughs) Correct. So Um, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead, jump into listening to Dave Ramsey's response on this interview that he has with this individual. And Dan and I will pause the video and respond to things that, hey, we agree with it. We don't agree with it. So here we go. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the Dave Ramsey Show. Hi, Dave. Hope you're having a good day. I am, sir. How can we help? I am. uh, Let me start by saying I'm a new listener, so I'm not super familiar with the baby steps. Uh, but I, you know, I've been kind of intrigued about the idea of kind of eliminating all debt. Uh, but my question was really more revolving around the idea: Is there such thing as good debt if the interest rate is low enough? All right, right there. I want to stop. This is a common question: Is there such thing as good debt if the interest rate is low enough? This is a question he gets on his radio show all the time. Mm-hmm. This is a question I get all the time in my direct messages of social media and my conversations with people hey, should I pay off this thing if the interest rate is this? Yeah. Like, is, that, is that wise? This is, this is a common question. If you're listening to this podcast, you've likely even considered this at least once in your life. I get why people ask. Yeah. You know, if the interest rate's low, isn't it wise? Well, let's find out what Dave says. Uh, and, you know, let's just say, for example, I have enough cash to pay off a substantial amount of debt, but that cash is busy with investments currently, mm-hmm. uh, would it be better off to pay off some low-interest debt or let the, you know, the money stay with those investments? And you know, they make money in those investments. That is greater than the interest rate, I guess, is a way to describe it. That's a great question. Um, I used to uh, kind of subscribe to the same thing because I'm a math nerd, and the idea that if I could borrow, if I if my mortgage rate is three percent and I can mm-hmm. put money in a mutual fund and it makes me ten percent, then I made a seven spread. Why would I not mm-hmm. do that all day long? Sure, that's the same kind of a thing that you're saying, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. for example, you know, yeah. I have a, a I small it. business in Colorado, yeah. and we own a, a warehouse, and yep. so there's a very big loan against said warehouse. Yep. Yep. Uh, but the interest rate, uh, fortunately, you know, yep. the coronavirus did work out well for this one. It was only two and a half percent. Ta-da! There we go. Okay. Now that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what I'm coming to. What yeah. I discovered, uh, and you're a new mm-hmm. listener, so you don't know the whole stinking story. But I started buying and selling right. real estate in my twenties. Starting from nothing, I had $4 million worth. I was a millionaire when I was 26. Then I lost it all because the loans got called by the banks and my... Okay, stop right there. He lost it all because the loans got called from the banks. Mm -hmm. This is something that he communicates often as it pertains to debt. He communicates a lot of fear. Mm. A lot of fear and a lot of worst case scenarios. 
Well, because he experienced something scary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and here, he does not communicate this in this video. He does not communicate this in this response. But here is truth and reality about what he's saying about debt. Can your loan get called from the bank? What that means is, hey, you owe us all of it right now. Mm. Can that happen? Yes. How does it happen? If you don't make the payments. Mm. That's it. Uh, It used to be, maybe in the 70s and 80s, that the way that loans were put together, that calling notes was a fairly common thing in the way that the contract was set up of the debt between you and the lender. Right. right? So in the terms and conditions Mm -hmm. that so many of us skip, Mm -hmm. it would say, we, the organization lending the money, have the right to Mm -hmm. call this note at our discretion. Correct. Not at their discretion. There would be things that would say, if this happened, we could call it. If that happened, we could call it. If this happened, we could call it. Okay. And that happened to Dave Ramsey. However, now, if you look at a traditional deed of trust or note on rental property or property that you own or whatever here in the United States, at least the mortgages that we write, Mm -hmm. what he's talking about is an unbelievably, extremely edge case scenario. And Mm -hmm. in over almost 20 years now of me doing home loans in the state of Arizona, I have never, ever seen it once. And I'm talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands of transactions, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of customers. I've not seen it one time. Is that clause in the notes? Yes. Mm. But in most cases, it's only there if you don't make the payment. Right. Which would be foreclosure. Correct. So what should you fear? Should you fear what he's communicating that the bank at any time could say, they'll have to pay it all now? No. What you should fear is, can I make the payment or not? That is huge with debt. Mm. Being scared of the bank calling the note because they did it to Dave Ramsey, you don't have to fear that. Mm. You only have to fear the actual terms and conditions that you sign to when you take on the debt. Right. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Sounds like an irrational fear. It could be. Yeah. Because the loans got called by the banks and my theory of making the spread all went to kaput because I got zero out of it. I ended up bankrupt at 28. I want to I call this out, too. He said that he was bankrupt at 28. Yep. I feel like there is a, an immense fear of the, the word bankruptcy, as if to become bankrupt is the same as, I don't know, dying? <laughs> yeah. Um, There's a and, lot of shame associated with bankruptcy. Yeah, and I, I really wish there wasn't. Hmm. Um, I mean, it... It does, I guess, illustrate an issue that you agreed to pay for something that you couldn't pay for. Correct. And and that's that's important to note. I think there is a, a, a biblical argument to make whether bankruptcy is right or wrong. Um, and we're going to talk about it in the second half of this podcast of, of what, you know, it's, it's a blog that I wrote about three steps that you need to do to be wise with debt. So we're going to give people practical steps at the end of this podcast. But one of the things I wrote in the, in the blog is that uh, in the Bible, there is examples of debt forgiveness. It's yeah. called the year of Jubilee, right? Yeah. This was a thing that happened. It was actually commanded by, by the Lord. So uh, is there debt forgiveness in life? Yes. Is that what bankruptcy is? I, I'm not, I mean, kind of, I don't know if I'd describe it as right. a, as, a Lord-ordained uh, year of Jubilee. <laughs> um, so I'm not here to, to 
in this podcast episode to communicate if, if bankruptcy is right or wrong. But either way, I think you're correct. There should not be this immense amount of fear associated mm-hmm. with it. Now, we don't want to use it out of get out of, as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right. If you sign up for debt, pay the debts. Yeah. Like, that's what you should be doing. Um, but you're right. He's He's communicating bankruptcy here as this thing that's like, oh, I filed bankruptcy. I'm definitely going to hell. You know? Right. And that's not what it is. That's not how it works. No. I mean, we don't have to really get into it, but the fact is we're all bankrupt and we're all going to hell unless we access the salvation that's given in grace. Excellent, Jesus Juke. That was wonderful, Dan. Oh, yeah. And I got the opportunity to start over, which made me question my former theories because my former theory didn't work. What I had left out of my theory, what most people leave out of this theory that you and I are discussing, the 3% versus the 10% mutual fund, the 7% spread appears to be there. What we leave out of that theory is risk. Sure. And mathematically, if you install risk into the equation, it starts to dilute or do away with the spread. In other types of investments, in sophisticated investment analysis on, for instance, an aggressive growth stock mutual fund compared to a uh, growth and income stock mutual fund, the aggressive is much more volatile, much more risky. The uh, traditional mutual fund, the growth and income, is much less risky, has a lower Uh, peaks and valleys if you chart it. You follow me? All right. So this is where I completely agree with him, but disagree at the same time. (laughs) Okay, here we go. If you are going to call yourself a financial advisor and be a true fiduciary of any client, you have to absolutely talk about risk. Mm -hmm. You should not ever do a financial strategy that is not aligned with your own risk tolerances. This is big. Dave Ramsey's absolutely right here. You can't just do things based on math. Right. If that 10 to 3% with 7% margin spread has a risk tolerance that you're not comfortable with, you don't do it. Mm. You have to make sure the risk is there and has to be uh, calculated or computed somehow with the other math associated with these decisions. He is accurate. However, and we're going to continue to hear, I don't agree with the way that he communicates risk. Again, mm-hmm. the risk and fear that the, the note is going to be called, that's, that's not even a real risk. Like, understand truly what the risk is. Don't just believe something is risky because somebody told you it is. A lot of times fear and risk is not properly evaluated because we're letting fear take over our heads. We're letting fear take over the decisions rather than actually looking at what the real risk is. Assess risk, just make sure it's real risk. Yeah, and I noticed he, on the subject of fear, he he didn't just bring up risk as an important thing to consider, but he said that the risk will do away with the spread. Mm, I didn't even pick that up. That's not true. That's not. It might diminish the spread. Mm-hmm. The risk might say the spread doesn't make sense for you. The risk might say the spread is totally fine for you. But either way, the risk has to be a part of the conversation. It, yeah. ca- it can't diminish it, especially for every single person listening right now. Everybody's risk tolerance is different. And that's something that's got to be understood as well. Yeah. yeah. So well, you would never compare yeah. a high-risk volatile fund rate of return apples to mm-hmm. apples 
with a lower risk, less volatile return. So you might make a 10% on that growth in income. You might make 22 on that aggressive, but you don't compare them the same because we don't compare the roulette wheel with a CD. Uh, what? You don't compare the roulette wheel with a CD? And okay. for, for everyone listening, he doesn't mean compact disc. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about a certificate of deposit, yes. which also is an antiquated term. Yeah, right. It's like a savings account, right? That yeah. has a very, very low rate of return with next to no risk. And you can't call the roulette wheel an investment strategy or a savings account. So no, he's completely not only comparing, like his point of, yeah, there's, there's risk involved here and he's giving this example. It's fine, right? I understand why he's doing mm-hmm. it. But again, understand his context. He is pushing even more fear about debt right now yeah he's he's, comparing debt to vegas yeah he's reinforcing not only debt but also investments because he was talking about the different funds yeah i feel like he's reinforcing the false thinking that investing is gambling yes a lot of people think that too no my money in the stock market's gambling i better just save it no that's not true no it's it's not at all the difference between gambling is that the odds are legitimately mathematically stacked up against you Uh, investing over any 10-year period of time in the history of the stock market ever, all time, you have a positive return. Yeah. Like there, there's real math associated with both of these. Uh, so, and with debt, debt isn't gambling because debt, there, are, there aren't odds. The odds are related to your ability to pay it back. Uh, and that's, that's a great point because he communicated that the bank just called the note. And that's the fear, right? That's why he had to file bankruptcy is because the banks called these notes. Uh, but that's makes people feel like debt is gambling. If at any time without knowing you could have the roulette wheel spinning on your favor and then the bank call the note. No, that's not a thing. That's not how debt works. There are real right. terms here. If they call the note, you'll know it because you agreed to that term and, uh, and it explains exactly how they would do it if they would do it. Right. We adjust for risk. And what happens in what you're discussing is we forget to adjust for risk. So I learned the hard way that risk is real, and people learned it again in 2008, and they learned it again Mm -hmm. with COVID this year, that risk Mm -hmm. is real, and that when you have debt, you are susceptible to getting your freaking head taken off. What? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, he's right. Recession was a thing. Yeah. He's right. Whenever COVID happened, there were some impacts to our economy. We're still feeling that stuff with, with inflation even, right? Yeah. Uh, so all that's true. And all of that needs to be considered as part of your financial plan and how you're investing. Risk needs to be evaluated. I 100% agree with him. Yeah. I disagree with losing money being equivalent to losing my head. Correct. Getting your head taken off. Like this is, <laughs> this is the part where it's like why so many people listen to his show, right? Mm-hmm. That's fun to listen to. Yeah. It's dramatic. Yeah, it's great. Like, this is really good marketing. Dave Ramsey's, I mean, he's just so good. He's so yeah. good. So get your head taken off. Um, if you think debt is equivalent to getting your head taken off, like he's speaking right now, that's fine. You're not wrong for feeling that. And that also means then you probably shouldn't engage in a strategy like this. Yep. But if you hear him equate debt to getting your head taken off um, and you think it's ridiculous – then this might be something to consider, right? So what is your risk tolerance? Yeah. And, well, I agree. I yeah. have my question, I, mean, I guess, in regard to that. And, I, just, and um, so I consequently you know, decided to be and live debt-free as the shortest path to becoming and staying wealthy. Stop. That is absolutely 
100% something I disagree with. It's not true. Um, it is a really good safe path to mm. building wealth. If you are 100% fully debt-free, you can build wealth. And it's yeah. probably the wealth-building strategy that has the least amount of risk. But mm. he said fastest and quickest. Right. 100% false. Well, well, that's be- it is the fastest because every business ever has never taken out debt, right? Mm, false. <laughs> right? Oh, wait. Most businesses start with debt because they need the capital to start a business. Correct. To get to, to quickly, yeah. before they can get the cash on hand, scale. Correct. Right? And, and I'll prove it to you right now. Everybody that was a homeowner who took on debt and bought a house in, right. say, 2019, here we are in 2022. Mm-hmm. I just saw a statistic, Daniel, that showed that almost, almost 9% of all homeowners have a home that is now valued over $1 million. Wow. That's the highest percentage of millionaire homes in the history of our country. On top of that, a real data statistic, in the year 2021, homeowners' home values increased in value more than the average person's W-2. Wow. So they took on debt to buy a home, and now that home is an actual asset. Sure, they get to live in it, and it's their walls, it's where they sleep, it's where they dwell, but it is an asset. And the value of those assets have increased so much over the last two years that should they decide to sell, it would have now increased their net worth exponentially and moved them into a completely different wealth-building sphere. Yeah. So... Having debt can oftentimes, if you leverage wisely and intelligently, build wealth faster. It's different risk. Mm-hmm. So he's right on the risk. But don't tell people that it, the fastest way of, of building wealth is having no debt. That is not true. It's just the least risky way. Right. And not to spoil my video, but not taking on debt and following Dave's plan of being debt free has actually way slowed me down in my wealth building journey. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Well, I can't go, well, that way there is no risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or very little. Sure. You know, much le- yeah. There's other risks, but it's not the banks. You know, it, th- we're not going to get foreclosed on. Sure. At all. Now, do I buy fewer things because of that? Yeah, because it takes more money. I don't have the, mm-hmm. you know, I don't own as many buildings. I own a bunch, own several hundred million dollars worth of real estate nowadays, but. So why does he own several million dollars? This is an authority piece, right? Mm. He's saying, follow my advice. Guys, I own lots of stuff. I'm rich. I got all these things. I did it. How? How did he do that, Daniel? Did he get all of that real estate and build all that wealth because he chose to not go in debt? I don't know, actually. Do you, the reason how he did it? and ha- Income. Mm. He has so many income streams. Right. It's amazing. Like, he gets money from his radio show, as you said, advertising, mm-hmm. all the different products and services. He's an unbelievable marketer, an extremely intelligent business owner. The guy knows how to generate income. Yeah. That has helped him build all that wealth that he said. He could have gone into debt and still continued with all the wise income things that he has, and he would still be all rich and have all that real estate. You know what I'm saying? 
It yeah. wasn't the choice to not go in debt that got him all the riches he's talking about now. Mm. What got him all the riches was his ability to earn income, and he's awesome at that. But I probably could own a couple of billion if I leveraged the same amount of equity into stuff. Uh, and, and But then I would be up at night when COVID hits. I'd be up at night when 2008 hits. I'd be up at night when Trump gets crossways with the Chinese. I'd be up at night worrying about how I'm going to make my freaking payments because some tenant didn't make theirs. So, again, this is the, if you were going to be up at night when things right. like that happen, that's your risk tolerance. For sure, you shouldn't engage in stuff like this. But if you do it wisely, meaning you have money set aside in your rental property so that when tenants don't make their payment – you're able to to still make those payments and you have a plan for how to get new tenants and new income in that property, then then you're fine, right? Right. If you have margin built in where you not only have a, a savings account, but positive difference between how much you owe on properties versus how much property is worth, when things maybe aren't going as well, you could always sell them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's so many things that you could do to change the risk of a situation mm. that you don't, you don't have to fear some of these things that he's communicating. Are they worth considering and talking about? Yes, to help you understand what your risk is. But it's not com- completely applicable to every single person. Yeah. Also, not having risk is a myth. Yes. You cannot completely a- avoid that. Yeah. And, and here's proof of that. Okay. Here we go. He, he <laughs> what, Right now, inflation is going crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's nuts. We're all feeling it. Do you want to know what the best hedge of inflation is right now? What's that? A 30-year fixed mortgage that people got in 2019, 2020. Mm. Because the interest rate on that thing is below 3%. My 30-year fixed mortgage is super low, below 3%, because I got it when the market was at, at its lowest. Mm-hmm. And my fixed mortgage payment is going nowhere. Yeah. But inflation is doing what to rent, Dan? Oh, it's hiking. Yeah. And, and how are you uh, sleeping at night as a knowing that you're a, a, a tenant and you're going to have to pay landlords when your lease is up? Yeah, I'm still debt-free. Uh-huh. But being debt-free has not given me financial peace. Correct. Right now, my concern, finding income. Yes. Because that's income mm-hmm. is what we need. Yes. And And – a radio show about how to get more income might be more helpful than Correct. a radio show on how to stay out of debt. Yeah. Because being debt-free does not hedge against inflation at all. Correct. So your point of you cannot completely remove risk is super wise, and people can feel that right now with inflation risk. Yeah. And uh, debt-free against inflation risk can suck at times. Mm-hmm. Whereas... My 30-year fixed mortgage that I use to purchase my home is extremely powerful to me right now because it keeps my housing expense awesome. Yeah. And so life is too short. The shortest path to peace in my finances, security in my finances, I might be sacrificing some return, but I doubt I really am at the end of the day because adjusted for risk, I didn't really lose that much. So I live 100% debt-free. So if you're sitting on some investments and you could pay off all your debts, I would pay off your debts. And then I would use the increased cash flow to begin to build some other investments and not have any debt laying around. Because with no payments, you have incredible cash flow. With no payments, you have incredible peace. And that's where I came to. 
Honored to have you as a new listener. Thanks for letting me discuss that with you. All right. That's basically the end of the video. And again, I, I agree with him with the risk. But you can't assume that the risk he's communicating is the real risk for you. You have to discover what risk is for you before you can make the decision. Um, I, again, I, I like Dave Ramsey a lot, and I think there's a ton of wisdom. He has given some amazing advice. He has helped millions upon millions of people, but specifically on this, there's a, there's areas where I got problems with it. I really do. Yeah. And and if you're the type of person that things like, you know, the 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 downturns in the market that he mentioned are going to scare you and it's going to make you feel like you might get your head taken off, definitely don't engage in this strategy of leverage, right? Yeah. But if you believe that your risk is tolerance is different and you have other things set up in your life to make that risk, risk even less, it's totally fine for you to pursue and you're not a sinner. You're not going to hell. There's not bad things happening to you as yeah. Dave Ramsey might make you feel like if you do go ahead and move forward with that debt. And there's nothing wrong with you if you have a very low risk tolerance or high risk tolerance. Your risk tolerance doesn't mean you'll build wealth faster or slower than the other person. Just make sure whatever financial endeavor you engage in is aligned with that risk tolerance. Um, we were talking earlier, Daniel, I think it was yesterday, the day before, maybe when we were preparing for this podcast. And we said that Dave Ramsey is kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous for people who have gotten into really bad debt. Yeah. It's like AA for, for folks who made some really poor financial decisions. It's so great and so powerful. But if you don't have bad behaviors with your your debt, if, you know, it, it's okay. It's like, look, I, I might, if I'm an alcoholic, I'm probably not going to go to the bar to watch the sports game with my friends. Right. Because that might be dangerous to me. It's not, it's not good. That would be unwise. It would be, <laughs> right. But if I don't struggle with like my own life personally right now, I just, I don't drink at all. Right. So can I go to a bar and uh, watch a sports event with my friends? Yeah. Yeah. It's no problem at all. Um, now, is there a chance I might have a drink while I'm there? Yeah, but that is so low. And the risk tolerance for me is super low. You know, so the same is true with this. If you know yourself and know that the risk is not good for you and debt is dangerous for you, don't touch it. Or run away from it. Follow Dave's advice. Yeah. But if there's you don't have that type of behavior, it's it's Okay. It's okay to think through some of that. All right. So now we are going to quickly go through some uh, action steps or some at least things to think about when you're trying to steward debt wisely in your life. Yep. Uh, and it, it got me thinking about Dave's story that he he touched on in the video that he was a multimillionaire at 26 and yeah. bankrupt at 28 because yeah. they called all his notes mm -hmm. at the same time, mm -hmm. which we've established is exceedingly rare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so... I mean, he had a lot of money borrowed. He, how, did, how did he get that to be a millionaire, Dan? Through debt. Yeah. He was borrowing money. He was leveraging real estate. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the lever broke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was over leveraged is the, the financial uh, term for that mm -hmm. when, when you're borrowing too much, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and that leads to our first step of being a good steward of debt. And that is you have to count the cost. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to not only count the cost of what the payments are going to be to make sure that you can pay them, right? but you have to count the cost of the risk associated as well, and you have to count the cost of any downturns in the market. I don't know Dave Ramsey personally. I've never met him, so I didn't know him, obviously, when he was 26 and he 
made millions. Right. But I know a lot of investors who are investing in real estate in 04, 05, 06 here in Arizona. Mm. And then they lost their shorts uh, whenever the recession happened. You yeah. want to know one thing that all of them did not have? Humility. Mm. They lacked humility, almost like they thought that they were invincible, meaning they were doing so well with some of these real estate investments with that leverage that they kept leveraging and kept leveraging and kept leveraging. And they almost believed like a downturn would not happen. Mm. So when it did happen, they weren't prepared for it at all. Yeah. And and they lost everything. So you have to count the cost before going into debt to not only make sure, yes, you can make the payments, but also what is your exit strategy? When yeah. things go bad, what will you do? Okay. It's not like if things, it's no, it's when. Yeah. Downturns in markets happen. What are you going to do when that happens? And and that's a part of, of counting the cost. It's a big, big deal. Yeah. And counting the cost is hugely important when it comes to to determining if you should take on debt. But step two is I want you to continue counting costs. <laughs> I want you to figure out what other costs are associated with debt. Um, and, and here's the thing. When you decide that you are going to go in debt to, say, buy a house and you have a mortgage, that means you need to go find income to pay it back. Mm-hmm. And if you need to go find income to pay it back, that means you are going to be sacrificing your time Mm-hmm. and portion of your life to pay that debt back, right? Yeah. So what is that payment? Not only what is the, the money that's involved that I have to pay it back, but continue to count the cost. What's my life now look like? Yeah. You know, do, do I have to work overtime every single time now when it's available? Right. You know, or am I not allowed to take time off as much because this, this debt kind of pushes us to the limit, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the emotional side of things. If I take on more debt, not only does that mean I need to work more, but it also means I'm going to be thinking about work more. I'm going to be uh, spending my energy, and mm-hmm. I might be more tired when I come home. Yeah. Uh, so I, I need to be thinking about who am I once I'm under this debt. Yes. Um, and that's an important cost to count. You really have to understand how it impacts the income that you have to now go earn, which then impacts the amount of time that you might get to spend with your family. You know, yeah, yeah. keep counting those things as well. Uh, really, really count the t- cost before going into debt. And the third step before uh, determining if you should take on debt and if you're going to be a good steward of debt is prioritize paying it back. Yeah, really. We talked a little bit about bankruptcy at the beginning, Dan, but this has to be a priority for you. Mm-hmm. It's an agreement. Have integrity. Read through the terms and conditions yeah. of the debt that you're agreeing to pay and make sure that paying it is a priority for you and in your life because that contract, it's a big deal. And if yeah. you don't take that contract seriously, you could end up like Dave Ramsey at 28 where people are calling notes because you're not making payments on stuff, Right. Yeah. So prioritize debt whenever you take it on. It's not just some flippant, easy thing that the world makes it out to be. All debt, whether you're swiping a credit card or whether you're signing a mortgage note, is serious. And you have to know that your integrity is on the line and you need to prioritize paying that off with, with everything you've got. That's a big deal. All right, guys, we have a blog that talks about what the Bible says about debt. And if you want to check that out, go to stewardship.pro forward slash blog. And then we'll also have the link to the specific blog in the show notes. And if this episode 
has opened your eyes. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and you know somebody in your life who could stand to think a little differently. Feel free to send this episode to them. Yeah, man. Uh, because we we really want to help people uh, adjust their mindset mm-hmm. and and really remember that personal finances are personal. Yeah. You can do it Dave Ramsey's way, you'll be fine. You can do it a little bit differently my way and you'll probably be fine too. But making it set up for you personally is is what's most important. Yeah. Dave Ramsey is famous for saying that, you know, cash is king, you know, debt is dumb. Right. Debt, in Dave Ramsey's words, it's amoral. It's a tool. But what you do with debt can be dumb or it can be wise. Assess your risk and make sure that before you engage in debt that you're making wise and not dumb moves. The debt is amoral. It can't be dumb. It can't be good. It can't be bad. It's what you do with it that matters. 